0: Good morning. All right. How are you all this morning? Good. Awesome. You know, I think that it bears just based on you know, based on what today represents and what it is, uh, and uh, as well as um, just what uh, what they represent and, and uh, helping to keep our community safe from the fires. We do have quite a number of Idlewild Fire Department people here, so let's give them a hand. Thank you, Thank you guys, for all you do. You just really are, um, I think, embody in a physical way what Jesus is about in so many ways. Um, in fact, I saw Brett yesterday, Nicholas decided that he was going to split his head open. so um, <laughs> that, was, that was fun. Um, but uh, Brett Brett, and Nicholas know each other well now, so they <laughs> see each other all the time. Um, but if you, if you uh, need a Bible, please put your hand uh, up in the air. If you don't have one with you, um, we'd love to uh, hand one to you. If you don't have one at home or access to one easily, please keep the one we give you. It's a gift from us. We want everybody to have the Word of God handy and accessible and read it regularly. Martin Luther said, the authority of Scripture is greater. And the comprehension of the whole of man's reason. So, uh, certainly would love to have you guys have the Word of God and take it with you if you need it. Um, if you would turn to Luke chapter 8, and as we go there, I, certainly we all know today is a very special day. Um, the New York Jets will be taking on the Ravens. And. <laughs> Um, Actually, to tell you the truth, I think it'd be great if both New York teams, the Jets and the Giants, won today, just in honor of that city. Um, I remember uh, 21 years ago, um, showing up in New York City, and every year, I wake up on September 11th, and I have to say that's one of those things that just doesn't get easier. So, we'll continue to pray for all of our first responders. Allow that to be an opportunity to remember them in our prayers and uh, the continued pain that, you know, that will never end for a lot of people. Um, And so, yeah, just wanted to bring that up. Luke chapter 8, verse 16. By the way, uh, before we get started, I probably should preface it with. Uh, The message today is probably rated like IBC 13, so just to be, take that for what it's worth, some information there that uh, is important, we should all know, but careful. So, uh, Luke 8, verse 16, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Verse 19, Then his mother and his brothers came to him, and, but they could not reach him because of the crowd, and he was told... Your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Our merciful and wise God, we thank you for waking us this morning that we may have yet another day to worship and to honor you with one another and with your bride around the world. Let our lights so shine that the world may see the truth of the gospel and the goodness of our Lord Jesus. God, be present with us this morning as we examine your word. May the truth be illuminated in our lives as you speak to us. Reveal to us changes that you desire for us and cultivate in our hearts those changes that they may be made reality. Show us who you are and prepare us to receive that which you have for us this morning. God, we ask that your spirit would reveal to us your truth through the scriptures. We give this time over to you and open our hearts to hear your voice in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. When I was in high school in Temecula, uh, there really was not much to do in our free time if you remember Temecula in the 90s there wasn't much there we would spend an hour maybe wandering around blockbuster video do you remember that looking for a videotape or a few videotapes we might want to watch and buying overpriced popcorn and candy sometimes we would take our vehicles that were not designed for it off-roading in places we were not supposed to go we would, sometimes we'd just have to leave Temecula. We'd go to the drive-in theater in Oceanside. Do you remember that? There's a, uh, during the day, it's like a swap meet. It's right under the final approach to, to Oceanside Airport. And there's this drive-in theater there. And what we would do is we would pack everybody in the trunk of the car. And so it looked like it was just a couple on a date. And then six of us would get to see the movie. But here's the thing. We only paid for two, you know, like thieves, right? We, we, I, I've, I've long since repented of these youthful sins, but one of the things we used to do was just to wander around aimlessly. Didn't anybody do that when you were a teenager? You had a car, you couldn't be home, and you just had to wander aimlessly, and Somewhere east of the Linfield School in Temecula, there was a storm drain tunnel from the street drainage or whatever that opened into this wash. And so we would drive our non-off-road cars off-road into the wash, and then we would go and uh, into this tunnel. It was huge. It was like 10 or 15 feet in diameter. It was huge. And the echoes were Awesome! Have you ever done that? You yell and you're like, woo! And then it echoes back and forth and you can hear it. It's so much fun, right? And so here's the thing, it was really long and as you go, you know, after the second curve in that tunnel, it's just pitch black in there, there's no light. And so we thought ahead and brought flashlights with us. Well some of us brought flashlights with us. And the funny thing to do was all the flashlight people would kind of quietly congregate together. And we'd look ahead to see what was ahead, and then we would shut the flashlights off and take off running. And all the people that didn't have flashlights were just stuck, because they didn't know what they were going to slip on or trip on, right? And so they... The best, the best was when you get to the, if you could get to a curve and then go around the corner, and then turn your fla- that flashlights on, and then your friends are just stuck there in the dark having to feel their way around, and no, we didn't go back after them. There was, right? Um, the, we were mean to our friends, that's what you do when you're a teenager, right? I mean, it's their fault for wandering a mile into a storm drain without a flashlight, isn't it? And yes, this happened on more than one occasion, several times in fact. And you know what? They still did not bring flashlights. It was so much fun to mess with our friends. Well, back in Jesus' day, they didn't have flashlights, they had lamps. Um, and these little lamps, it was like a little clay vessel like a saucer with an end pinch there would be like a, a wick that would come out and then just kinda of float inside of this vessel um, so you can see that uh... looks kinda of like a little genie lamp right um, and and it was a little more complicated delight than just flipping a switch so you probably didn't mess with people by blowing it out um, and, and so as we look at this passage i want you to imagine like the darkness the pitch blackness of being like in this tunnel, right? And then this little light that would expose everything for you. Imagine this lamp as Jesus teaches the disciples. Verse 16. Luke eight sixteen, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. So we'd know what the lamp was, kind of like this little genie lamp. Where the genie pops out and gives you wishes. And yes, we all agree, we would wish for more wishes, right? That's what we do. And of course, there's no such thing as genies, in case you think I actually believe that. But uh, the, the, these are real lamps, and they don't have genies in them. They have oil, and it's usually olive oil. And the flame would be more than just a little candle flame it would be fairly relatively bright but it's still small and jesus in this context makes a nobody does that comment right he makes a statement nobody does that there are things that nobody does right we 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 know that you just don't do it because it would be foolish okay we live in 2022 we've been through things and television shows where somebody does what nobody does like the no clear thinking individual ever one of those shows i can't even name in church right that's and probably not even most of the stunts there's a couple of mild ones like the guys they would stand in the front of a wood chipper as their friends like the the outlet of the wood chipper as their friends threw butterball turkeys into it nobody does that except those guys right or the urban kayaking where they would Take, get all dressed up to go kayaking and take their kayaking and kayaks in front of a large building to try to kayak down, or just a busy flight of stairs to kayak down, right? Like nobody does that, except those guys and the 14-year-old boys trying to emulate them. But but Jesus says nobody lights a lamp and then covers it with a vessel. Nobody does that. It was it was kind of a form of satire. People would chuckle at the image of going through the trouble of filling, and olive oil was super expensive. Filling this lamp with olive oil—it's like gas, right? It's like forty-seven dollars a gallon. But you no know, one would fill that up and then light it and then cover it up. That would be absurd. Nobody does that, right? And Not only would be wasting very valuable olive oil and wick not to light up the room but you would also probably snuff out a flame that took some effort to light now the second piece of satire Jesus uses is even more ridiculous nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a bed we live in Idawild. we are familiar with fire we don't like fire and a bed in that day was mostly made of hay and the way a lamp produces light is fire we we know about we just dealt with this and a hay bed is probably about as flammable as a bale of pine needles right so so in trying to hide the light the person putting the lamp under a bed would be doing something catastrophic and light up more than just the room right? But in order to understand a passage, as always, we need to look at the content. So last week, let's go back, Jesus tells the parable of the soils. We have some soils here, we've got the the road or the path, we've got the rocky soil, the thorns, and we've got good soil here, right? And the sower is Jesus, the soils were the heart of a person, and the seed was God's word. And here we see that the message of God's word is compared now instead of seed to light. So in both parables, the issue is how God's word is handled. Now keep in mind that even though we stopped at verse 15 last week, Jesus is continuing to speak in the same conversation, right? And we're right now, we're in the same time and place that we were last week. Jesus just finished speaking of the seed that falls on the good soil. Right here in verse 15 where it says, As for that and." The good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So a lamp producing a sustained flame would fall under that category. Uh, in other words, we're pretty much talking about the true Christians here, right? Um, generally speaking. And remember that when we talked about the other soils, we saw that sometimes there will be something that grows. Right? But, but that not all faith is true faith. So in this section, we can safely assume that Jesus is continuing on with the seed that fell into the good soil, which is the heart that God has, uh, the, or the, rather, that has been genuinely transformed by God. So in those of us who have repented of our sins, we've placed our faith in Jesus, we're the elect, uh, and this is speaking of us and how we respond to the light that we have in Christ. We, we have that light. Right? John John 1, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If we keep in mind the context of the soils, the light is the light of all. But just as no seed will grow in the soil that God has not purposefully cultivated, like the path or the rocky soil or the thorns, there are those who will not receive the light that has been cast For those who receive the light we would be foolish to hide it nobody does that right either we would shield the light and minimize its effect become a weak shell of a christian that doesn't understand or give god's grace very well those are like the ones that they they keep their faith quiet they they like their churches small and exclusive. They don't, they don't invite anybody. They rarely share their faith or invite their neighbors to church. Their coworkers know they're Christians, but they don't really know what that means. In fact, they don't even know about them because they don't really hang out a lot with people who are not Christians. They like to isolate themselves. Or then, you've seen these kinds. They barely show up in church. They do everything they can to avoid looking like a stereotypical evangelical. People might know that they're Christians, but they, they really can't tell the difference between those Christians and anyone else except that they might go to church here and there and they claim to be a Christian. These guys are cool. They party harder than their, their non-Christian friends. And they often wind up with catastrophic consequences to stupid sins because they have no accountability with other Christians. I have a friend who led a, he actually led a ministry and he was kind of like that. And I would, I would observe this, his non-Christian friends that he was supposed to be ministering to in the context of his ministry were the ones that had to give him biblical counsel about his stupid sins. Like he pretended to be shining his light, but he had to hide a lot of it to cover up for his sin And like putting a fire under his bed made of hay, the results were catastrophic. Thank you so much. That helps. He suffered tremendously for it, but the light of God's grace shined brightly as God continued to forgive him over and over, and people saw that grace in his life so God still worked, but you know here's the thing I think there are better ways to shine God's grace than letting yourself become a human torch for Jesus right like it's much more pleasant when God uses our obedience to work than it is for him to work through our rebellion right so some of us have learned that lesson I had one guy tell me some time ago he doesn't even try he goes "I." he goes I'm just the kind of person God has to teach the hard way you sure you don't want to try a different road, fella? Like, <laughs> it's not fun. The ESV Study Bible has a great quote. It says Gospel proclamation and gospel ministry in this age are like a lamp that illuminates and drives away dark areas of sin before the final judgment. Do you remember that one time when Adam and Eve sinned back in Genesis? Right? They ate the fruit from the tree that God had told them not to eat from. What was their first response? They hid. They hid. Genesis 3, verse 6. So when the no man saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, sin produces a natural instinct to hide doesn't it Uh, it, it, and it's because we know that the light exposes our sin. And there are probably a number of us today here who are having trouble sometimes showing up to church where the gospel is preached because the gospel is light. Maybe some have backed out of serving in the church. People maybe who have hid themselves from the light by coming up with some reason why they cannot be in fellowship with the people of the light, the people of the gospel. What Jesus is saying is that the proper use of a lamp is to put it on a stand so that it might expose all that is in the room. And that's because the first part of the gospel is to recognize the weight of sin in our lives. We have to acknowledge our sin so that we can repent of it. So the natural question at this point would be what sin in your life might you be hiding from the light? so that will not be exposed oftentimes the one that we're trying to hide it from is ourselves right we hide the light we avoid the scriptures and fellowship because we don't want to acknowledge that we might have a sin problem and so we hide the light from ourselves and we're also hiding the light that jesus has given us from the world around us whom he has called us to evangelize and sometimes even trying to hide our sin from Jesus, whom we know we can hide nothing from. Verse 17, Luke 8, 17, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. R.C. Sprawl said that he was saying that the light that comes from the Word of God is truth that must never be hidden. Just like we all have, all we have is to broadcast the seed that Christ has provided. All we have is to shine the light that God has given us. In the end, nothing is hidden. Nothing is secret. The outcome is God's business. And the question is, are we being obedient? But nothing's hidden, nothing's secret, and that's bad news to those who remain in their sins, whose natures have not been transformed by God, because we are by nature children of wrath, children of darkness. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting Can we pray that prayer? Because that's the prayer of a regenerate person. That's the prayer of someone whose heart has been cultivated by God like the good soil in which the seed will grow and produce good fruit. That's the prayer of someone who has resisted the temptation to hide the light that God has given them. Moving to verse 18 in Luke chapter 8. Take care then how you hear... From one who has, more will be given, and from one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Take care how you hear. It's like God is sovereign. And God, only God has the authority and power to change a human heart, and only he can decide who he is going to cultivate. But trusting God's sovereignty in salvation does not absolve anybody from the responsibility to either repent of their sin or receive the due penalty for their sin. more detailed reading of the text would be, watch how you are heeding. The word translated you, for example, is the Greek word for the southern English contraction, y'all. Right? So we might translate the passage, y'all be careful how you hear now, in the context of the passage, the hearing is something also that they're actively doing. So it's like when we say to our kids, listen to me, we're shaking them right now. Don't shake them. Don't shake your kids. Um, but listen to me. We mean, oh, obey the words that you are hearing us communicate to you. So, so hearing has to do with obedience. Be careful how you are all hearing. What kind of soil can obey? In light of the previous section, we still have to recognize our utter dependence on God to save us and cause our faith to persevere, because that good soil has to be purposefully cultivated for its purpose, right? Only the good soil can obey. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives growth. So we see God acting in our sanctification too, not just the justification. Those are both two pieces we can consider within salvation. Only the soil which has been cultivated by God can the seed grow to maturity in. Similar principle applies to the light. The light is not some secret thing that's hidden. For those of us whose who sin is exposed by the light and are held captive to the Word of God, we will receive and give yet more light. But for the ones who think they have light and yet have attempted to keep something in their lives from being exposed by hiding from the light, not only will they remain in spiritual poverty but will become that much more impoverished in god's kingdom first corinthians ten twelve says therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall it takes humility to be exposed by the light and being exposed is a humbling experience But when we can get there that's where we can be used by god most effectively that's where we will bear the most fruit luke eight nineteen. then his mother and his brothers came to him but they could not reach him because of the crowd so we see a shift in the context here the word then right or at some point after he was done speaking his mother and brothers attempt to get him or at some point after he spoke these words maybe he could be still be speaking uh, jesus was born to mary we know this Oh, talk about the Virgin Mary. Joseph is his adoptive, earthly father. And I, listen, I, I struggle to be a good dad oftentimes. Some of you guys can identify with that. Because I have great kids, right? I, I've got a lot to live up to to be a great dad for them. Can you imagine the pressure Joseph must have been under raising Jesus, the Son of God? Like, oh yeah, he's a great kid, isn't he? Wow, right? Now I want to I briefly address an old idea here about Mary. There, there may be some of us who have, have uh, some experience with Roman Catholic doctrine. And there's this idea within the Roman Catholic Church that Mary remained a virgin perpetually, forever. And that idea came long before some of the more more recent Marian dogmas like the Immaculate Conception and, and like that she is somehow a co-redemptress with Jesus. Um, this one here really shouldn't have any real consequence to our Christology or our understanding of salvation, that it comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It does, however, become problematic because it calls some of the statements about mary in the new testament into question and this is one of those you can't derive this doctrine from scripture you have to read scripture through the lens of that doctrine in order to allow for it our text today is one of those texts that you would have to take out of its plain meaning in order to accept mary's perpetual virginity the word adelphoi and so there's one piece of it the word adelphoi which We translate as brothers almost never refers to anything except physical and spiritual siblings. It could be translated brothers and sisters. Uh, The only reasonable way to translate this is that his biological mother and biological half siblings are there because, in a second, he's going to he he contrasts that here with his spiritual family. So we take that out of the equation. It's not to say that Mary and his siblings weren't part of his spiritual family either. I want to take that off the table because he was just, he was simply using them as an object lesson here. They certainly could have been within that group. Uh, There are other texts that uh, correct that false doctrine. One of them is in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 But as she considered those things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, and he... Like, first he finds out Mary's pregnant. He hasn't been with her. It's not his. And then, after Jesus is born, Mary breaks the next piece of bad news to him. Like, so, Joseph, what are your thoughts on a lifelong celibate marriage? <laughs> Thankfully, that's not how it works. Okay, the only reasonable way. To understand that word new in Matthew 25 is as an idiom. And that was a common Jewish idiom for sexual intercourse. The the other possible definitions would be negated by the fact that he did know her. He was very familiar uh, enough with her to travel to Bethlehem. I mean, they were engaged, they were betrothed, right? Uh, they were well acquainted with each other. So there's only the one option. Now, I think the root of that teaching in the Roman church is that there had become something in the thinking of many Christians way back then that made human sexuality to be something impure. Um, And and the breaking of the hymen to be an irreversible impurity. Um, That also had to develop into the idea that Jesus kind of beamed out of Mary without... Breaking that. So there's some issues with this teaching that have to be explained. And it's probably also related to the insistence on celibacy, celibacy for priests, uh, which was also developed quite early on. So that influence and probably was also influenced by implications of Mary's purity because they didn't see that as pure. But we know as from a form, uh, from from a close study of Scripture, rather, that healthy and frequent sexual relationship between a husband and wife in a biblical covenant marriage is right, it's good, it's pure, and it's a beautiful picture of our eternal intimacy with Christ if He has blessed us with that kind of marriage. All of that is to say that the siblings were the natural children of Mary and Joseph. there's there's really no other way to understand these texts that doesn't start with a presupposition that comes from something other than the Bible and much later. We can see that there's a good-sized crowd here, and this biological family of Jesus couldn't get to him. Let's look at those last two verses, verses 20 and 21. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus is simply demonstrating an important truth here. Nobody is born into the faith. We have a physical family that we're born into and they're very important. Whether it be through adoption or through uh natural bloodlines, but they may or may not be part of our eternal family. We are going to be with our eternal family way longer. Back then, the people did not have the same robustly individualistic values that we have today. It was all about the community. And and you identified with what you were born into. Nobody really dealt with the idea of choosing to believe something. That wasn't even something that would come to their minds, really. You believe because that's your heritage. Some time ago, I had the opportunity to talk to an Amish guy uh, when we lived out there in uh, Western New York, and I asked them about their lifestyle and, and worldview and uh, this was a rare privilege because they tend to avoid being that candid with what they call the English, which would be all of us. Uh, I asked if he enjoyed their lifestyle I mean there are some things they 're very simple they have no electricity, which is already a problem because if you have no electricity, you have no sunday ticket um, and there's no football. so. But anyhow, um, they have no electricity. Everything's simple. They don't use cars. They don't use any of that. These guys, I, I mean, I've literally seen them like behind teams of t- horses with these big plows that they pull. It's just incredible. Um, it's a simple life, but very hard life. And I asked if he enjoyed it. And he said he never really thinks about whether or not he likes it. Uh, it just, it's just how they've always done it. And that's good enough for him to accept it. It never occurred to him to think outside of that context, and that's the kind of the way that the culture was in the first century among Jews. So Jesus kind of breaks from the that worldview here. Notice he doesn't say that Mary and his siblings are not part of his spiritual family. He just widens the lens and says that those who hear and obey him are his family. That hearing is still emphasized, like we saw. Last week, uh, for example, verse 10, Luke 8:10, "To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing, they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand." David Garland said, "The purpose of teaching via a parable is not to obscure the truth and prevent people from understanding, its purpose is to disclose whether hearers are truly receptive to the teaching." In fact Isaiah, speaking of, his, um, speaking of his vision, this is in Isaiah chapter 6, he says this in verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Jesus is pointing to a truth that Paul later emphasizes in his uh, doctrine of adoption. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Remember that son word sons is important because... Back then, the son was the highest heir. So whether you're male or female, it's it's speaking of status, not gender. Adoption is sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Jesus is demonstrating that we do not belong to God by physical birthright, but by faith which will result in obedience. If God has cultivated your heart so that it is in the condition of the good soil, you will see and hear His authority, which will result in obedience to that authority. And the result is that you will be a light illuminating God's message, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Uh, There was an extended family, family member that we had some years ago who used to participate in all the family gatherings and vacations and we had never really pushed our beliefs on her tried to convince her of anything or tried to change the conversation or move the conversation so that we could preach the gospel or anything we just lived and loved like Jesus the best way we knew how she knew what we were about but that's about it but it got to a point that she would drunk call us in the middle of the night telling us how preachy and judgmental that we were. Like, Lady, we even, never even talked to you about our faith. Right? But, but here's the thing. Living faithfully for Jesus, and this is hard for some of us, living faithfully for Jesus can offend people just by virtue of who we identify with. Sometimes you don't even need to say anything to draw out their seething anger for God. And that's what light can do in the heart that remains in darkness. Saying a prayer to ask Jesus in your heart doesn't make you a part of Christ's family. Neither does going to church or agreeing with the right teachings or making a claim. The mark of a true Christian is obedience. James 2, 14-18 says this, Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Remember last week we were affirmed that not all faith is saving faith. Do you want to know how you're doing as a Christian? Ask how difficult it is for you to live in obedience. What parts of your life would you rather not be exposed to, let's say, your IBC brothers and sisters? Now remember that obedience is not what saves us. Obedience is the outcome of our salvation, and, and, and here's the thing though, if we're unwilling to submit to the authority of Christ, how is it that we can take an honest look within ourselves and consider ourselves to be Christians? The reason that Jesus used a lamp as an illustration is because the idea that one would cover it up or put it under a bed is absurd. It's ridiculous. Nobody will do that. You're either in the light or you're not. Imagine yourself walking around with this little lamp that exposes everything. Imagine this throughout the week, that you're walking around with this little lamp. Take note of each time that you would hide that light that you would not want somebody to see or know something or that you would not want god to know or see something even though we know that he knows and sees all what is it that you're hiding and why and then ask what would it look like for me to hear to heed or obey god's word in that moment when the light is not hidden and everything is exposed. Am I among Jesus' true family who hears the word of God and does it? First John 1, 7 through 7-9 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Our holy, perfect God, we ask that your word, your truth would shine brightly in our hearts. That the world around us may see your grace in our lives. Lord, it's scary to ask but expose our sin that we may repent and bring you honor that the world may be exposed in the darkness driven from us and lord help us to hear and to obey you teach us to trust you god we thank you that even in our rebellion you can be working a weight of glory in us thank you for your word and for the truth of the gospel message help us Lord to have the heart have hearts for evangelism God that we might hold our light up place it on a high stand and illuminate the darkness that Jesus might be known everywhere help us oh God to resist sin and temptation Deliver us from the evil one and fill our lamps with oil so that we might be like Jesus, the light of the world. God, we surrender our week to you. We we ask that you would prepare us for the mission field that is before us in the coming days. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.